I have a conflicted relationship with the lectionary. I appreciate the discipline that just keeps me from talking about whatever happens to be on my mind that particular Sunday. Um, but then when it gives me what I'm supposed to talk about, I think, hmm, what might I say about that? So today, I thought of the British writer and philosopher G.K. Chesterton. Any of you familiar with him anywhere along life's way? Okay, Ben, yay. Um, Chesterton knew that boundaries are necessary for freedom. He explained, and I'm quoting him, we might fancy some children playing on the flat grassy top of a tall island in the sea. So long as there is a wall, a boundary around the island, the children can play freely and fling themselves into every frantic game and make the place the noisiest of nurseries. Enjoying life on the top of the mountain is possible, according to Chesterton, because of the boundary. Now, some might have considered the wall a restriction for the children's freedom. Yet, because of the wall, they could live free from fear. They could toss a ball and run and catch it and not have to be afraid of falling over and tumbling into the ocean. Chesterton described a world without boundaries. When the walls were knocked down, leaving the naked peril of the precipice, the children did not fall over, but they huddled on top of the mountain in terror at the center of the island, and their song ceased. The irony is that removing the boundary did not increase their freedom. In fact, the opposite. The patch of grass had not changed in size whatsoever. The children could take as many steps safely as they could before. They lost their sense of internal freedom. Chesterton believed that most of us desire a combination of something novel alongside the desire for that which is secure. In his letter to the Galatians, Paul realized that secure internal boundaries are essential to freedom. I hear our media talking about our country in terms of tribes these days. The early church had two big tribes. There were the Jews, who were following Jesus, and there were the non-Jews, the Gentiles, two very distinctive tribes. And the Jews wanted to make sure that these new non-Jews, the Gentiles, were following the external boundaries carefully, particularly they were interested in circumcision as an external law. Paul quotes Jesus in this passage. 
Jesus is always taking the law to the inside, the internal. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the purpose of the law. Paul says we are to live by the Spirit and not be imprisoned, have our freedom taken away by the desires of our flesh. Now, this list of sins may sound a bit antiquated, and I must tell you, there is not a single hymn related to the first three quarters of this lectionary text. There are just no hymns about debauchery and licentiousness and carousing and orgies. I'm sorry, we might need to write some, but they're not there. So, what do we do with this list? The liberal quick Christian tribe in the 21st century, and I know I'm uh, perhaps being prone to hyperbole here, but the liberal Christian tribe tends to focus on systemic judicial ethics. Conservative Christian tribe seems to focus on personal morals. Here's what I think the scripture does. I see Jesus' justice as being important both for systemic, cultural, ethical systems and personal morality. And, my favorite word. Now, Paul, when he starts talking about the flesh, he says the words I've already said, sexual impurity, licentiousness, debauchery, idolatry, sorcery, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So three or four of those, when talking about flesh, are talking about sexual issues. Also, there's one about mind-altering chemicals, which affects sexual morality. And then there are four or five about divisions and conflict. Mind-altering chemicals also affect divisions and conflict. So you can begin to see what Paul is doing here. One of my favorite books that I've used in an intro religion class, and now I use it in a new course I'm teaching called Religion and Social Justice, and I've mentioned this once before, Michael Sandel's book, Justice. And you can watch his entire 12-part video series. He's a Harvard professor in ethics. And one of my favorite chapters in Sandel's book is chapter five, where he talks about Kantian ethics. And I, I, I promise, Kelly, I was not uh, thinking about your dad when Bert Helm loved Kant, and I love Immanuel Kant. And so it, it's been nice for me. Kelly gave me a couple of uh, Bert's books on Kant. Kant talks about sexual immorality in this way. And let me be clear. Kant does not, does not identify his ethics as being based on Christianity. It, he is a philosopher. And he says that sexual immorality is about objectifying other human beings. The satisfaction of your sexual desire is what you are seeking, and not respect for the humanity of the other, but seeing their body as the object 
of your desire. And thus, all those hundreds of years ago, Kant would talk about prostitution and pornography and casual hookups as that which is focused on self and not focused on the humanity of the other person. About, and Kant says, here's the problem. If you're an ethical human being, you cannot treat another person or yourself as an object. You can't treat yourself as an object either. In stark contrast to libertarian notions of self-possession, Kant insists that we do not own our bodies, that a body cannot be property. The moral requirement that we treat persons as ends rather than as mere means puts boundaries on the ways we treat ourselves and the ways we treat others. Kant's autonomy construct imposes certain limits on the ways we may treat ourselves. The categorical imperative requires that I treat all persons, including myself, with respect as an end. I, as I said, I, I think Kant was a brilliant philosopher who taught that we are not free. We are delusional if we think we are free when we are slaves to our own desires. If you are slaves to your own desires, you are not experiencing freedom. Now, there's that word, debauchery. There were some of us in the office on Friday. We had some fun looking up the, uh, the definitions of, of some of these words. But the best we could come up with was slaves to pleasure addictions. Porn, alcohol, prescription drugs, even relationship addictions. Therapists call them love addictions. But where, what you are really interested in is how that person makes you feel, not who that person is, not respecting their autonomy. But you seek relationship because of the dopamine that it releases in your body. An addiction is when something outside of ourselves takes our freedom away. I was uh, sad this week when we heard that the Pilgrim group, the AA group that has met here for over 30 years, has disbanded. They are no longer meeting. And I give thanks to all of the men who sat in our gym through the years and who found some freedom from their addictions. When Paul writes flesh, he is thinking about self-focused living as opposed to other-focused living. Paul gives us boundaries in this lectionary text. Outside of ourselves, freedom in Christ. And then he writes, of the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And if we're not careful here, a simplistic approach would be, able, would be one that says flesh and spirit are opposites of each other. No. 
No, let's don't think of, let, let, let's, let's not think of that. We are bodies and spirits. I saw a book last week and the, the cover on the title at, a, at an old bookstore was called Sacred Food. I love, love, love that title, Sacred Food. How many times have you been eating with someone and you had an experience of the sacred? And sacred taste buds. It's one of the reasons I don't want to get COVID. I do not want to lose my taste buds for a day. I really love tasting my food. So the body is sacred. Let's start with love. We love with our bodies. Shaking hands, hugging, waking up at 3 a.m. to go put your hand on the forehead of your sick child, making love, creating life. I do not read the scripture as anti-body. Christianity is the faith where God put on a body. Joy, laughing. We laugh with our bodies. Sometimes we laugh so hard that our bellies shake or water starts coming out of our eyes. We experience joy with our whole selves. Peace. The filtering of light coming through the darkness. Deep breathing. Heartbeat slowing down. Anxiety in our bodies gets a lot of press. But we can also experience peace in our bodies. Patience, a calm response to turmoil. Kindness, taking your hand with your body and holding open the door for somebody, sending a text or an email or a card to a friend, talking to a stranger. We experience kindness with our bodies, not just with our spirits. Generosity, making cookies for your neighbors, reaching out to grab the dinner check, donating blood, taking meals to the Palmers, and I want to say something about that. You may have seen on Facebook where Meredith has started a meal train. Steve is really not doing well. Last week when I was there, he was still able to use his walker and move from room to room. He is no longer able to do that. He is, he is now wheelchair bound. And Patsy cannot leave the house. And so I'm asking you all today to take a look at the meal train and see if once a week, for as long as they need it, if once a week on a Wednesday evening, Westminster can show up with a meal for them. Patsy also sometimes needs to go to the grocery store. So if there are some men in our congregation who would be willing to go sit with them, or sit with Steve, rather, for a couple of hours, let me know today, and I will relay that to Patsy. We love each other. We are generous with each other, with our bodies and our spirits. 
We worship with the water of baptism, with bread on our tongue and bittersweet grape juice. And next Sunday, we will share Holy Communion together with ashes on our foreheads, with palms in our hands, with hymns from our mouths. Barbara Brown Taylor writes in an altar in the world, to make bread or love, to dig in the earth, to feed an animal, or cook for a stranger. These activities require no extensive commentary, no lucid theology. All they require is someone willing to bend, reach, chop, stir. In a world where faith is often construed as a way of thinking, bodily practices remind us that faith is a way of living. She continues, what is saving my life now is the conviction that there is no spiritual treasure to be found apart from bodily experiences. My life depends, and I love this sentence, just gotta tell you, it's one of my favorites. My life depends on engaging the most ordinary physical activities with the most exquisite attention I can give to them. My life depends on ignoring all touted distinctions between the sacred and the secular, the physical and the spiritual, the body and the soul. What is saving my life now is becoming more human, trusting that there is no way to God apart from real life in the real world. So let's go forth this day to play on the top of the island, enjoying our gracious God, who has given us important boundaries, boundaries that create real internal freedom, freedom for love, and that gives us, through our bodies, the spirit of God's self. Amen.